This is Double Truck Stories, the home for some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Justin Ellis. Almost a year ago, Sam Darnold was sitting on the bench, a redshirt freshman for a USC team trying to recapture some of its former glory. After a less than spectacular start, Darnold finally got his chance, taking the reins as the Trojans' starting QB and leading USC to nine straight wins, including a comeback win against Penn State in the Rose Bowl. But with great wins comes even greater expectations, especially in a city like L.A. and a school like USC. In the last eight years, the school has run through five head coaches, three athletic directors, not to mention a postseason ban as well. So who is Sam Darnold, and how well will he fare in the spotlight? Today, Molly Knight brings us the story of the somewhat shy and perhaps somewhat fearless kid who grew up in Capistrano Beach, California, rooting for the Trojans all of his life. Now, with the hopes for USC's resurgence resting squarely on his shoulders, Sam Darnold is heading into this season the same way he faces just about anything in life, by finding the moments of opportunity born out of extreme pressure. Make sure to join me after the story as Molly talks about how a connection in her spin class led to a conversation with Sam Darnold about minor league baseball. If you like Double Truck Stories, do us a favor and subscribe to the show wherever it is you listen to all your favorite podcasts. And here's What Me Worry, written and read by Molly Knight. Sam Darnold is gone. It is 2002, and one moment the five-year-old is splashing in the water on his boogie board, and then he isn't. His mother, Chris, and his eight-year-old sister, Frankie, are enjoying a sun-kissed summer day at their favorite spot, Linda Lane, near their home in Capistrano Beach, California, and they don't notice Sam paddling out into the ocean on his own, or the rip current that sneaks up and pulls him some 200 yards out into the Pacific. The waves swell to six feet and Chris realizes Sam has been drawn out to sea with no reasonable way to safety. She sprints to the nearest tower and pleads with the lifeguard to dive in after her son, pointing to a speck on the water. He looks huge for his age, but he's only five, she screams. The lifeguard tries to calm her while he assesses a set of waves and the mess the boy has gotten himself into. Let's just wait and see if he can catch one of those and ride it in, he says. Each second feels like sixty. But soon, a giant wave forms behind the little redhead on the bright yellow boogie board. Mom holds her breath as it crests. He catches it and bounces along the whitecaps all the way onto shore. His panicked mother runs to him in tears. Her boy stands and looks at her, then heads back into the water with a devilish grin on his face. Though he is still not yet old enough to legally drink a beer, Sam Darnold's legend already burns bright, even by Hollywood standards. As a redshirt freshman last season, Darnold took over as USC's starting quarterback and rallied a reeling 1-3 team to nine straight wins, including a Rose Bowl victory. Now the Trojans faithful look to him to lead the team to its first national title in 13 years, a saga that just might include his hoisting the Heisman Trophy and sitting alone atop every NFL team's draft board come April. He's the best college quarterback I've seen at anticipating since Andrew Luck, says Stanford's David Shaw, who coached Luck in college and is not prone to hyperbole. When you evaluate quarterbacks who can play at the next level, you're looking for guys who can see a play before it happens and get the ball out of their hands quick, and he's the best I've seen in years. 
Between now and the draft, stories will be told about Darnold's future as a franchise-saving quarterback. Jets and Browns fans will stay up past their bedtimes to watch him torch defenses on the West Coast. We'll all marvel at his ability to keep a play alive when everything goes sideways. And scouts will shake their heads in disbelief when his most accurate throws come off his back foot while he scrambles for his life. If the hype that surrounds his playmaking ability translates into a decade-plus NFL career, his smile that never needed braces will grace countless magazine covers and ad campaigns. So remember Darnold in this moment, on a sweltering afternoon in mid-July, when he ambles downstairs to the basement of the John McKay Center on USC's campus in full uniform, notices half a dozen crew members setting up a fluorescent tunnel for him to run through for the photos accompanying this article, stops dead in his cleats, and asks a USCPR person, This isn't for me, is it? As he stands under the hot lights, flipping a football back and forth between his fingers for the photographer, Helmet on, helmet off, now throw it off one foot, now act like you're being chased, smile, don't smile. One of his favorite receivers walks up and takes in the spectacle. Sam deserves all of this, Deontay Burnett says. He's just a good person. For the circus that surrounds USC football, this is no small detail. The subtext of all the Donald stories told this year will be whether a quiet, serious kid whose plumber father drives the same pickup truck he's had since before his son was born and his mother teaches P.E. at the middle school he attended is the right man to lead USC back to the pinnacle of college football after the train wreck of a decade it just had that included five head coaches, three athletic directors, dozens of scholarship losses, a postseason ban, one coach fired on a tarmac, and another fired on his way to rehab. The truth is, it's impossible to tell Sam Darnold's story without beginning in the water. Though he left Capistrano Beach two summers ago for Los Angeles, some 60 miles north, the calmness he picked up on the sand remains, like the freckles on the bridge of his nose. Consider the play Darnold seems the best of his life so far. In the first quarter of USC's game against crosstown rival UCLA last season, the Trojans and Bruins are tied at 7, and USC faces a 3rd and 9 from its own 32. Darnold drops back to pass, and the pocket around him collapses, with three linemen in powder blue jerseys closing in on him fast. Somehow, he ducks out of the tangle of human limbs and sprints to his left, with Tack McKinley, a future first-round pick, on his heels. As Darnold plants his back foot and hurls the ball downfield, McKinley knocks him to the ground. The ball floats under the hands of Burnett for 12 yards and a first down. Darnold practices throws like that on the beach in the offseason. The uneven sand keeps him off balance and offers a forgiving surface to fall on. He attributes his ability to stay composed when 300-pound men are chasing him to growing up a few football fields from the ocean. The water has a way of teaching you that panicking when large waves crash down on your face could spell your doom. The secret lies in figuring out how to improvise when you've got water up your nose. Darnold wasn't much of a talker growing up. So when he was three, Chris took him to be evaluated by a teacher. The woman told Chris her boy was perfect. He was just quiet because his sister Frankie did all the talking for him. As an adult, he remains an introvert, which is a noted bonus for any hotshot USC quarterback with permanent access to a table at Delilah or Catch or any other place staked out by TMZ. The chances he will end up on Snapchat in a hot tub with a Kardashian are next to nil. The week before the photo shoot, I meet Darnold for bottled water and a chat outside USC's Heritage Hall, the building that houses the athletic department and serves as a museum for the six Heismans and 11 national championships won at the school. He offers me a gentle warning. It takes me a while to warm up to people sometimes, he says. 
A lot of people in the media get bored interviewing me, but I'm fine with that. I'd rather be that guy than the guy who's kind of a loudmouth and doesn't know when to shut up. USC linebacker Cameron Smith finds his roommate's quiet intensity unintentionally hilarious. He's the most competitive person I know. We'll play beach volleyball and he's like sweating, diving, sand all over him, Smith says. Volleyball runs in the family. Frankie played at Rhode Island. A few years ago, while she was home for the summer from college, she entered a co-ed tournament in Manhattan Beach. When her regular partner bailed, Frankie recruited her 16-year-old brother. She asked the tournament director to cut them some slack, since Sam had never played competitively. But when Sam served ace after ace, the director became furious and called every minor transgression, assuming Frankie had sandbagged him. Team Darnold still made the tournament playoffs. That innate athletic ability goes back generations. Chris's father, Dick Hammer, played for the USC basketball team in the 1950s and played volleyball for the U.S. Olympic team in 1964. A firefighter, Hammer supplemented his income with acting work. He became one of the original Marlboro men. He never thought of himself as a big shot, and my son never has either, Chris says. Hammer passed away when Darnold was two, but it didn't take long for his parents to see that their son was just like his grandfather, a man of few words who excelled at every sport he tried. Whenever young Sam made a great play on the court or on the field, his parents would joke that it's the DNA. His competitiveness seemed hardwired, too. When Darnold was five, his father Mike signed him up to play basketball at the Dana Point Community Center. It was a disaster. No other kids on his Warriors team seemed to understand the rules. When a kid from the other team would mess up and break a rule, Mike says, Sam would stop and go out of bounds and ask for the ball then throw up his hands in disgust when the referees let the kids play on. After that first game, Sam sulked the whole ride home in Mike's truck. At San Clemente High School, he moved from receiver and linebacker to starting quarterback his junior year, but suffered a foot fracture that wiped out most of his season and, with it, his best chance to impress college scouts. So after his foot healed, Darnold suited up for the Tritons varsity basketball team and was named CVU League MVP. His high school football coach didn't have much film of Darnold at quarterback, but he sent out tape of him playing basketball to recruiters. Clay Helton, USC's quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator at the time, was intrigued by Darnold's vision on the court, but he wasn't sure he had a spot for him at USC, which already had future NFL QB Cody Kessler locked in as starter and blue chips Max Brown and Ricky Town ready to back him up. Any doubts were erased when Darnold showed up at a USC summer camp after starring all spring in football clinics. With all of five high school starts at quarterback under his belt, he wowed his way to a scholarship. Darnold committed to a USC program in disarray. After Pete Carroll left for the Seattle Seahawks following the 2009 season, USC floundered trying to recapture his two-title magic, nostalgia serving as the gateway drug to amnesia. Yet Darnold wasn't deterred by the NCAA sanctions heaped on USC from the Reggie Bush years, or the mid-season firing of Lane Kiffin the year before, or the open secret that the coach at the time, Steve Sarkeesian, was struggling with what would turn out to be an alcohol addiction. Darnold had grown up in a USC household, going to games and watching Bush and Matt Leinart. Besides, he had bonded with the button-down Helton, who had looked him in the eye and said the starting quarterback job would be earned by the best player. Just weeks after Darnold arrived on campus, Sarkeesian showed up drunk to a booster event and delivered a profanity-laced speech. A few weeks later, he boarded a plane for rehab in Utah and was fired before he landed. 
When asked about the upheaval of his redshirt season, Darnold shakes his head and sighs. It was crazy, he says. What was even crazier is there were guys on the team who had dealt with it before with Kiffin. I was like, whoa, this is insane. And there were seniors who were like, eh, no big deal. It happens. Helton took over as interim head coach, and the team went 5-4 and four the rest of the way. His interim label was removed after USC rolled past UCLA 40-21 to in the penultimate game of the regular season. The move gave a group of 18-20 to year olds what they needed most. Stability. As a redshirt freshman in September 2016, Darnold watched from the bench as USC swaggered onto the field against Alabama, took a 3-0 lead, then gave up 38 unanswered points. That 52-6 shellacking was the worst season-opening loss in USC history. Darnold came off the bench and threw two touchdown passes against Utah State the next week. In the third game of the season, at Stanford, the Trojans were sputtering, trailing 27-10 late in the fourth quarter. Helton sent Darnold onto the field, and Burnett ran a double move with a linebacker tight on his hip. Darnold slid up the pocket, stepped over a defender, and threw for a 28-yard gain. As soon as I stuck my foot in the ground and looked up for the ball, it was just right in my hand, Burnett says. Neither team scored the rest of the way. USC dropped to 1-2. and two. On Sunday, Helton told Darnold he was starting the next week at Utah. His first start was a heartbreaker, as the Utes scored with 16 seconds left to win 31-27. to Darnold rushed for a TD, but threw for none. Leinart reached out to him afterwards. I asked him for tips on how to step in as a redshirt freshman and lead a group of seniors who were kind of lost, Darnold says. USC hadn't been 1-3 in forever, and the team maybe had negative thoughts in their head. I know I did. Leinart encouraged him to stay calm and remain level-headed. As Darnold recalls, he basically said to continue being myself in my darkest moments. That's who everybody's going to see. Darnold and a few teammates called a players-only meeting after that game. I told them, hey, we can't quit now. Darnold's teammates credit his ability to let go of the past as a key to their success. He's always optimistic about everything, Burnett says. I think of his mindset as the next play mentality, like, let's go out there, let's get them, this is the drive. USC ripped off nine straight wins to finish the season, capped with a thrilling comeback over number 5 Penn State at the Rose Bowl, where Darnold threw for 453 yards and five touchdowns. With a minute and 27 seconds left in the game and the Trojans on the Nittany Lions' 27-yard line, Darnold dropped back and threw a perfect ball between two defenders in a spot where only Burnett could catch it for the tying touchdown. The only way I can describe it is I felt the grass in front of me, and so did Deontay, he told reporters. The Trojans won on a field goal. Darnold is feeling a lot of things heading into his third fall at USC, but pressure doesn't seem to be one of them. He insists his heart was pounding against his pads during that final minute of the Rose Bowl. But that heart grew into itself in Capistrano Beach, so maybe it pounds a little slower than most. The Pac-12 Media Day in late July is at the Hollywood and Highland Retail Center, situated amid a flood of tourists on the Walk of Fame. Each team brings its head coach, an offensive player, and a defensive player to be interviewed. The Trojans choose Smith and his roommate Darnold, who is dressed like a corporate intern in a gray USC polo shirt, khaki pants, and the kind of brown shoes a young man might wear to church. During Darnold's Q&A session, his pant leg creeps up to reveal black-and-white Vans socks covered in skateboards. At lunch, each team delegation sits outside at a picnic table with ten chairs, and reporters are encouraged to join them. 
Nylon umbrellas are brought in for shade, but instead trap the stifling heat. Many teams have open seats at their tables. At USC's, 30 reporters jostle for seven seats, eager for Darnold's sound bites about his expectations for the season. In the rare moments when the scrum turns its focus to Smith or Helton, the usually unflappable Darnold alternates between rubbing his eyes and biting his nails. This is the hardest part of being USC's starting quarterback. Leading a game-tying drive in the final two minutes of the Rose Bowl as a redshirt freshman isn't as challenging for an introvert as talking to strangers in the middle of a mall. But he's getting used to it. The pressure won't lessen if the year goes as expected and he decides to leave for the NFL. But he won't make that decision until spring. He knows that if he goes, this is his only shot to bring the Trojans back to glory. When I asked him about that time he almost drowned when he was five, he remembers the story a little different than his mother, insisting he was petrified. The waves were really big, and he was just a little kid. But he accepted that he was stuck in the situation until he could find an opening to scramble out of it. When the next wave came, I was like, okay, he says, this is my opportunity. And that was What Me Worry by Molly Knight. And Molly is joining us now from L.A. Thanks for being here, Molly. Thanks for having me. So for a story like this, which is in the magazine's uh, college football preview, you know, we've seen these types of things before. It's the it's the next star quarterback. It's the guy who's going to mm-hmm. be the talk of a season. When you're making a profile like this, how do you give it a little bit more life? How do you give it some pop to more than this is just the, the new hyped sensation of the of the college football season? Yeah, that's a great question, especially for someone like Sam Darnold, because he's kind of boring and um <laughs> he no and he, he readily admits that he says he has says to me in the article that you know some some media members say that he's kind of kind of dull it's kind of it's kind of boring interviewing him um and i think that that's definitely a good thing as far as usc is concerned because they've been anything but boring the last decade with all of the the ups and the downs and the scandals and the scholarship losses and the Quarterbacks who get a little big for their britches and the coaches who go insane and the athletic director who's, you know, collapsing on the sideline because of the pressure. I mean, it's kind of nice to have a flat-lined kid in there um, for once. So, so yeah, for me in this one, it was just like, God, what do I do? And and um, luckily, I my family lives in San Clemente, where, uh, next to where he's from. Uh, he went to San Clemente High School. And so... I was able to go down there um, and spend a, a quite a bit of time with his parents and just get a real sense of who he is. And I think that that background of, of knowing what it means to grow up there and, and I, I didn't grow up there, but I but I went down there a lot in the summers and I spent a lot of time there as an adult and, and just knowing um, the kind of effect. It's one of my favorite places in the world, knowing the kind of effect that that place has on a person. Um, it's sort of it's sort of informed um, the way that I thought about his quarterbacking, the way that I thought about his ability to stay calm, his ability to make plays when, you know, 300-pound terrifying men are chasing him, um, his ability to keep his head, which I think is one of the things that's going to make him a fantastic quarterback in the NFL as well. Um, He doesn't make too many mistakes, um, even when he's scrambling, you know, he doesn't just guess and, and throw the ball up because if you do that in the NFL, they're going to intercept you. Um, so, so yeah, just kind of realizing that that's the kind of 
if I if I were building a franchise, um, if I were building a, a company, uh, I would want a strong, confident introvert. I think as a leader, uh, somebody who leads by example, somebody who keeps his head at all times, somebody who who is um, who thinks before he acts, <laughs> and who's measured and calm. I, I really I really like that a lot. Somebody who freely admits that they're that they are boring. Yes. And and as you said, you point that out in the story. Mm-hmm. And and for obviously anybody who's who's uh, done some reporting, who's tried to do uh, you know profiles and things like this, there's always the act of getting this person to talk to you. Right. For someone like this, it seems like there's got to be some extra step. So how did you get Sam to? How did you get him to open up? Well, it's interesting. I was I was quite fortunate because um, this is so random, but. There was a woman in my, uh, I like to spin, you know, go to cycling classes as like sort of my stress release and um, my exercise. And there was a woman in my spin class who had read, I'd wrote a book on the Dodgers and she read my book and wanted and, and wanted to put it on her syllabus. She teaches at USC um, and like a, a night class for, um, uh, I guess, in, in sports media and that kind of thing. And she wanted to put it on her syllabus in USC. And she asked me if I would come in and talk to her class. And I was just like, oh, my God, of course. Like, this is amazing to have my little book on some syllabus, you know, like the great Gatsby or whatever. But um, <laughs> but so I go to this class last year um, and, you know, it was like two dozen kids. And Sam Darnold was one of them. Oh, wow. Um, but I didn't – but at the time it was interesting because – um, each of the kids, it's like a three hour night class that meets every Monday night and, and, um, each of the kids has to ask, has to basically, it's a, it's a conversational class. So they're each, each supposed to ask a question to whoever, whatever guest comes in and introduce themselves. And I knew he was a football player because there were a couple of football players and they were just wearing, you know, the free gear the team gives out, you know, like the, the t-shirt or the sweatshirt. So I knew he was a football player and I knew his name was Sam, but I didn't, and I was like, "Is that Sam Darnold?" I didn't know for sure because um, he was just at that point, you know, he's a redshirt freshman, and he had just won the starting job two days earlier. So I didn't know. I mean, it, he wasn't yet like Sam Darnold, all caps, you know. <laughs> so I, I had only heard of him because I live in LA and I listen to you know ESPN radio. So like, I, I knew who he was. I'm a sports fan, but we had a really um, a really he, thoughtful conversation about why. Um, kids choose football over baseball when they're getting their heads bashed in and the money isn't guaranteed. And you know, he brought up a good point, which was that, you know, when you're 19, when you're 17, 18, 19, you can't imagine sitting in the minor leagues for six years. It's just like, what? It's too long. It's like a third of your life. So in football, you, you go pro immediately. There's this sense of impatience and for some reason, I hadn't thought of that. I That's thought a like really good point, yeah. Right, like I thought about, of course, like football is maybe cooler or maybe more high profile or or like whatever, like that. But um, but yeah, that was an interesting, an interesting point. Um, and then after we talked after class for just a second, and then he walked away, and I saw on the back of his little, um, his little pullover was the number uh, fourteen, and so then I and then I like quickly Googled it and saw that it was Sam Darnold. And I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this kid's going to take over the world. Like he was like, he was, he was engaged. I mean, he was, he was respectful. He was, he had read the material. Like he was, he was on it. 
And I was so impressed um, because in, in my experience, quarterbacks on every level, going back to like my crappy high school football team that won zero games. I mean, even that quarterback had an attitude, you know, so like, <laughs> like for me, just kind of seeing this kid, this really, um, I don't know, a decent kid who carried himself like any other student. And then to find out, you know, he's that good. They win every game from there on out. I mean, and this was so this was two. This would have been two days after his only loss in, in college football, you mm-hmm. know, and, he, and he's there and he's read the He's read the material. He's read my book. I was like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. So then I'm like, oh, my God, this kid's going to take over the world. And then when I met his parents, it was like, OK, this is where he gets it from. His mom is is a um, middle school uh, PE teacher and his dad. Um, works in Orange County hospitals overseeing uh, the, the plumbing they do with like hazardous materials, but he works from like 2 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, so that he's there, so that he was able to be there for his kids um, when they got home from school and to go to their games and to support them, you know, however he could. So, because his other child, Frankie, his daughter, um, played volleyball at at uh, Rhode Island. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this is just a, a, a family that that works. Um, works hard and nothing is given. And I think that's another thing that, that really um, inspires Sam. Well, sticking with, with uh, his family and mm-hmm. the opening scene of the piece uh, at uh, Boogie Boarding, <laughs> Capistrano Beach. Right. Why did you want to start there? Well, it's interesting. That's a good question. Cause when I was thinking about again, like, Oh God, how am I going to get anything interesting from this kid who, who's, <laughs> who's, um, who's just really boring. Um, I thought about my own childhood down there in those, in those uh, beaches. And you have to understand that that area, um, some of the most famous surf surfing in the world, um, you know, cotton point and trestles um, just down in San Clemente and just South of that in San Onofre. And there can be some big waves. And so when I was a kid, I, um, I was in the water a lot and I got sucked under once and, thought I was going to die and didn't, but thankfully, but, um, ever since then I've been sort of like, hmm. <laughs> when it comes to the ocean, I've been a little bit like, yeah, you know what? I, I have a lot of respect for the ocean. I'm not trying to go, I'm, I'm not trying to learn how to surf or to do any of that. Right. And so I just happened to ask Sam, like, I think maybe the second question I asked him was, you know, did you ever get sucked under? And the water. And then he's like, I've got a funny story about that. And he told me the story. And I was like, okay, oh my God, first of all, you are not allowed to, I'm going to open my sort, my piece with this. <laughs> Second of all, you are not allowed to tell any other journalist yes. between now and when it comes out. Um, you <laughs> swear to me, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. Um, but, um, and I was like, Sam, don't you see like the, the, cause he's telling me the story about how he just like stayed calm. And I'm like, this is almost too perfect. Oh, like, too don't perfect. you see the, the metaphor here? And he's like, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I kind of do. And, and um, I just I love the image of him because I guess when he was five years old, when this happened, um, for the people who haven't read read the piece or listened to um, my reading of the of the piece, basically, he's five years old and he gets separated from his family and he gets sucked out into the ocean. This big riptide just pulls him out like 200 yards from the shore and his mom's freaking out and he's five. But he's huge for his age, so he looks like eight or nine, um, and he's not the strongest swimmer. Like he can swim in a, you know, in a kiddie pool or whatever. But the ocean is different, um, and so she's freaking out and you know, crying and screaming to the lifeguards, like, "Please go save my kid!" 
And they're like, well, let's just wait and see if he can catch one of these monster waves coming in. <laughs> and he did. Um, and, and, and then he kind of got back up and, and went back out. And his mom was, you know, the lifeguards having to reassure his mother. Um, and he told me he was terrified um, yeah. in that moment. But he kind of realized that there was there's nothing he could do about it yeah. except wait. And I think for like a five-year-old to have that presence of mind to go, okay, uh, a, I'm so scared, I'm gonna pee myself. But B, if I panic, I'm just gonna make it worse. Yeah. Like to kind of have that, like I to be able to that. recite like the Serenity Prayer when you're like five. <laughs> to be like, you know, God help me to grant the, you know, to accept the things I cannot change, and He did, and it, and it undoubtedly saved his life. Yeah, um, and I think that that's that's what he does when he as he's a quarterback. You know, like he can't. I mean he doesn't force things mm-hmm. like you see some of these young quarterbacks do when they're like, got to get, got to run this certain play, got to run this certain play. And then, you know, they, they force it and then it's intercepted and he's just like the king of improvise. Um, and I think that that's just that we see a lot of quarterbacks who have big arms um, who get drafted because of, because of that, <clears throat> Jared Goff. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then they go to the pros and, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a mess. Um, and I mean, I say that as a Rams fan, I'm, I'm hoping that Jared Goff will show that. And if not, I'm hoping that they will lose every game and, and draft Sam Darnold. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be too perfect. Well, well, talking yeah. about, talking about his playmaking ability, in this piece, you know, you go and explain um, and describe several plays, whether it's mm-hmm. at the Rose Bowl or the Stanford game. And right. what's the challenge in trying to recreate something that is so visual and having to do that in text? Yeah, well, so I had to – I mean, I wanted to know – I asked him, what play do you think? Because he was – he was, gosh, he was the third – he came into USC. He was basically fourth string um, behind – uh, Cody Kessler, uh, Max Brown, and this other kid, Ricky Town, and and so he was just running scout offenses in practice. You know, he was he was having to mimic Stanford's quarterback or Oregon's quarterback or Washington's quarterback. And even then, you know, they're wearing red jerseys and and they aren't allowed to get hit. And, and his best skill is is evading, you know, being tackled and making something out of nothing and just being impossible to to bring down um his and that's not really a skill that he was able to show in practice um because they don't <laughs> they don't hit you in practice right. so i asked him well, you know what was the play because every every bench warmer wants you know wants to be seen and wants the coaches to go yeah okay this kid's actually good um so i asked him well, what was the play that you thought um that the coaches were like whoa this kid this could actually work this kid could actually be good and he cited a play in the Stanford game and USC was getting blown out and he he went in there and just um and and, and threw an incredible ball to Deontay Burnett um just right in a, in a tight window where and they hadn't scored a touchdown or they, maybe they had scored one touchdown the whole game they were getting blown out and he threw an amazing pass to where the the lineback, linebacker couldn't get it and and um I think it was just it was a throw that like Aaron, Aaron Rodgers might make where the the ball is just there the, the the receiver runs the route turns around and the ball is like on his right there on his shoulder like right. boom um and it's a play that that it's not on his 
highlight reel. You know, it's not a it's not a Rose Bowl winning touch or game tying touchdown. It's not a crazy, you know, long, long touchdown pass or whatever. But for him, that was the moment where he and he says, you know, the coaches never said anything to him, but he thought that was the moment where they thought, well, you know, this is this kid's for real. And and he's he was right. I mean, I asked uh, Clay Halton, what was the moment that you thought Sam could do this? And he was he was a little um, he he was more generous. He said, well, you know, when I saw him in high school and I, like, I'm like, dude, no, tell me it was the moment you when you thought you could do it in college. Like, he wouldn't he wouldn't give that to me. But um, he's actually said in Utah um, when they gave him the starting job, which was the following week after Stanford and. And and Sam went in there and, and played so well. And even though they lost, he had a smile on his face thinking, I mean, on the way out thinking we found our quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it in, in those moments um, when I'm trying to recreate a play, when I when I when I write about it, I go on YouTube and watch the play over and over and over and over again, because mm-hmm. oftentimes the way that someone will just human memory is is pretty terrible. Um, and especially when you're under stress, like, you know, a quarterback being chased. So he might say, oh, I, they usually get it right when they say I rolled out to my right or I rolled out to my left, but, um, they won't, they won't necessarily remember exactly who was chasing them or how many people they had to evade or, you know, which way the receiver turned, um, or who was guarding the receiver. Um, so that's the, that's the way that you, that you fact check that is watching footage over and over again, basically, right. and then right. trying to trying to recreate it, and then talking to. Fortunately, I um, the one receiver who seemed to catch um, all of the most uh, pivotal passes for Darnold was the same guy, Deontay Burnett, and he was great in explaining to me, like, so from a receiver's standpoint, like, why is he so good? You know, like, what is it? Explain this to me like I'm like I'm a dummy. I am a dummy. I've never been a college football receiver. You know, why? Why is he so good? And he's like, you know, it's just amazing. You're out there running. You're you're not even focused on the ball. You're trying to beat your defender. And then all of a sudden and then you get to your spot, you turn around and then there's the ball. Like you don't like it's just amazing. It's amazing that that happens Um, that you don't even have to worry that there's like a trust factor that the ball is going to be there. You don't have to worry about anything but getting you know beating your man and getting getting open um and the way that darnold describes it is like that touchdown pass to Deontay in the in the rose bowl that tied the game is just that you know he he felt the grass in front of him and so did beyond Deontay. and i'm like that's such a good line yeah. and i'm and i'm and i it's funny because i um i i talked to stanford's coach david shaw about that um, because David Shaw told me that he's the best college quarterback he's seen since Andrew Luck, and um, because of his his ability to anticipate defenses and change plays and and just be you know field general basically, and I'm like, what? This is how he described it, and Shaw laughed, and he's like, yeah, you know, mere mortals like us, like we can. <laughs> We, it's math, you know, we can, we, we look at it and you go, okay, here's a guy who can say, I'm going to be in X spot. My receiver is going to be in Y spot. I've got to throw the ball at this time and this angle at this point, you know, to make it all that, you know, but he's, it's like asking him to describe how he, how he does it. It's like asking Michael Jordan to describe, you know, how he, what he does or Barry Bonds to describe what he does. Like they can't. It just happens. Yeah. They just, yeah. they just do it. Um, 
But he was, yeah, we were laughing about that. He's like, oh, yeah, I just felt the grass. <laughs> you know, well, I'm in the Rose Bowl and I'm a freshman and we're down seven. And I, you know, with a minute left, I just felt the grass, <laughs> you know, and threw a perfect ball through four defenders <laughs> for, for a game-tying touchdown. Oh, Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of points in this story where you go a little bit meta, where you, one, taking us inside the photo shoot and that great scene of him sort of being like, mm-hmm. what is happening here? Yeah. The other being the, the sort of circus of Pac-12 media day. Yeah. Um, and in setups like that, you know, how do you get good material for a profile? Because in some cases it can be you know either a cattle call or it can right. be just a, an outright circus. Well, for USC, I think, and and I I grew up in it. I mean, my parents went there. I grew up going to football games. I, I'm intimately aware with the circus surrounding USC that's always been there. Um, and as as a Stanford fan, I um, so that's where I went to school. I I've sort of I've seen um, the good and the bad of that. I think, um, and just so, sort of how the noise surrounding the program can can suffocate uh, the people within it. Um, and so I just, for a long time, I mean, I mean, gosh, you know, you just look at their coaching staff. I mean, they, they fired Lane Kiffin on a tarmac. They fired Sarkeesian on the way to rehab. They had an athletic director in Pat Hayden, who is this really esteemed gentleman um, and a scholar who was reduced to, I mean, the pressure is so intense. He's, he's down there, screaming at the referees during a game and collapsing on the sidelines. I mean, it's just insane. Um, the, the the boosters, the fans, the faculty, everything, um, the pressure on these people. It's just, I mean, it, it turns otherwise, um, you know, steady, calm people into nutcases. And yeah. so I that was something that I... I really wanted to um, understand the type of personality who could could succeed in that environment, and um, you know, it's it's interesting because I thought, well, how could? Because I'm like, he, first Sam described himself to me as being shy, but then I thought more about that, and I'm like, you know what? I don't think a shy person could handle this. I think there's a difference between being shy and being an introvert. Right, right. An introvert, someone who's shy is like never going to feel comfortable raising their hand and speaking in class or um, posing for a photo shoot or or any of those things or being the quarterback of a high-profile football team. It's going to be a nightmare. Um, but an introvert just kind of is someone who picks his spots, is someone who is quiet until he figures out you know, he or she figures out what he wants to say, um, and, or maybe just once he can once once he gets used to the situation, he warms up and then and then is vocal. Um, you know, he's someone. Um, I, I mean, when I was uh, the last time I saw him, I, I mean, we were talking about we, you know he kids me because I'm a Stanford fan and and uh, we were joking about. I said, well, you guys got a pretty good chance this year because because uh, Stanford's um, going to be playing at USC. And he's like, well, we'd have a good chance if we were playing up there too. You know, <laughs> so I mean, like, there's this funny, because he's, he's definitely like a calm, um, laid, I don't, laid back isn't the right word though. I mean, there's like a little, there's like a little competitive edge that'll come through that I, that I just love. Um, it's just a, it's a nice, um, it's a nice uh, personality combination to be, to be stoic and competitive. <laughs> I guess you know? he seems to have it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. And, and he's he's aware of the sophomore slump and the hype and knowing he's going to have to work twice as hard this year to not be considered a bust, you know, um, because of the breathless. Oh, my God, this guy's, you know, 
the best USC is going to win the national championship and he's he's going to win the Heisman and he's going to go one one in the draft. I mean, there's nowhere to go but down right. from there. So. And as you point out in the story, then you also factor in things like TMZ and, right. and Kardashians right. and right. all the other things that L.A. brings along with it. Something that's funny, something that I, I had in the story, but um, what we wound up losing because of uh, space issues was um, he met his, his girlfriend. It's funny. He's met his girlfriend. Um, his girlfriend goes to Long Beach State, and she's a friend of one of his high school friends, and he, she, his high school friend happened to bring her to a game last year but it was before he was it was while he was on the bench <laughs> and so they met and and it was the utah state game and it's funny because um they joke that that um or he he likes it that that uh that she she fell for him you know when he was a bench warmer right um you know i'm like yeah she she didn't just like glom that's onto, true love gl- yes it's true love like she did she didn't just glom on to you weren't qb1 at that point you know you were <laughs> You were buried, um, but yeah, and he just he just kind of has like a quiet, solid relationship with her, and and um, and he's just real close with his family, and he lives with um, you know four other football dudes, and I, he just kind of lives. Um, there's not a lot of Hollywood clubbing going on. Um, it's a sort of low key existence, as low key as it can be for the quarterback of. USC when USC is 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 going well, and like you said, maybe that's the best thing for USC at a time like this. Oh, for sure. I mean, I I I'm a little bit. I mean, as when I do these stories, I tend to get unless the person's a complete jerk, you know, I tend to get a little bit. Um, I don't want to say attached, but uh, I I but but this kid, he's such a good person, and his family's so so good. That I really um, have a soft spot, you know, and I, I really want him to do well, except against Stanford. Um, <laughs> but um, but I mean, it's fine. He can he can still. Th- I've, I've I've told him he can still throw for five touchdowns as long as they lose. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit nervous about the the wolves coming after him and the insanity of the of the spotlight. Um. Because it's crazy. Um. It's crazy for adults to handle and it's especially crazy for you know 20 year old kids to handle um i know you know his parents were so excited um his dad's texting me he can't they can't believe this you know he's on the cover of sports the regional cover of sports Illustrated. He's on the cover of espn nationally i mean they still can't believe it they're just so excited and um but they've kind of they realize now like okay i think we're going to be done doing interviews um and just kind of give give Sam a little bit of a break and focus on the. I mean, they weren't driving any of this, of course, but but I, I told them I'm like just just if if it gets to the point where it's too much, you know, the school's there to help help your boy, you know, just say hey, you know, like no more no more interviews during the season, like hardcore, you know, profiles, right? No more right. none of that during the season because it's a lot. It's a lot of it's, it's a lot of pressure. Um, and a lot of time and a lot of worry about saying the wrong thing or giving the wrong impression or, you know, just opening your home and being vulnerable in that way. It's a lot. Um, and I know that as a reporter to be respectful of that. Um, I actually didn't insist on going into their house, which other um, reporters did. And they were really <laughs> grateful to that. And it's, it's weird. I think that they gave me more because of it. Well, Molly Knight, thank you so much for joining us on the show, and thanks again for reading the story. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I should say reading and and writing the story, not just <laughs> yeah. reading the story. Yeah. I wrote the story so I could read it. <laughs> <laughs> 
For this story and more, you can go to ESPN.com slash Double Truck. Double Truck is all one word. This episode was created by the team at ESPN Audio and produced by Michael Rabier. The Double Truck team includes Ryan Graner, Rick Santos, Jenna Janovey, and Eric Neal. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to Double Truck Stories on your favorite podcast player. Be very much appreciated. We'll be back again soon with more stories. Until then, I'm Justin Ellis. Thanks for listening.